Hi, this is the one time a year I don't dress up like a raging witch. It's Condé Nasty. And I'm still mad that little girl dropped a house on my sister. It's the Wicked Witch of the podcast, Ursula the Sea Bitch. And this is Reading Drag Race, the show where we talk about whatever we want. But mostly RuPaul's Drag Race. Hi, Ursula. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. She said in a tone of voice that indicated that that was a lie. Um, no, the, the world's a lot. France and Germany have shut down again. We are six days from witnessing the end of American democracy. So, you know, it's, it's a time. I'm so glad we decided to do this bonus episode to bring everyone some Halloween holiday season cheer. The only thing holding me together is that it is my birthday and Halloween, two related and very important holidays in my calendar, so. <laughs> me too. And with that, we do have a very special guest with us, and all three of us do have birthdays within 48 hours of Halloween. She came here to slay all you goblins, ghouls, and beasts. Please welcome... Buffy Cummers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that introduction, as always. Uh, yeah, that fine. I felt that fine, uh, Ursula. Ew. <laughs> oh, man. I, like, I knew that this was all coming, you know? Yeah. I knew that we were going to get a second wave. I knew that it was going to get cold. Like, said so we weren't going to be able to enjoy Halloween or our birthdays. I knew that the election was coming and that it was going to be an absolute horror show. Uh, still somehow all of my, uh, COVID binge drinking did not prepare me for it. Uh, <laughs> I have to say, um, so I, it's fitting in the spirit of things. I recently bought a three-story Victorian in a neighborhood, and I have to say being in this space, um, I mean, obviously that has influenced the, the movies and TV shows I've chosen to watch this Halloween season, but also... Just being in this space and watching how many homosexuals were talking and acting about quarantine in the past tense, I was like, boy, this has to be rampant because these girls are canoodling and having house parties. Like, there was no way there was not going to be a big resurgence in the Chicago area. Um, it was honestly comical because the neighborhood I was in before, it's like it was like a war zone and everyone was avoiding each other like the plague, literally. But then heading to uh, Slut Manor or Slut Street, uh... <laughs> it was a big it was a big shift. I was like, it's like a blast from the past here. Um, it was very. It was like, what is this, 2019? Um, I know prep doesn't God. prevent COVID, girls. No, it certainly does not. <laughs> oh and that God. is not to slut shame. I I am a total slut. I'm a proud slut. I miss being a slut. Uh, oh my god, do you, but... do you know how eager I am for it to be 2022 when someone else can ejaculate on my chest? Like, please, <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> but but you gotta be safe. <laughs> oh yep. my god. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, so with that, we wanted to have a, a special episode to talk about uh, Halloween, as we're all obviously Halloween babies and big Halloween enthusiasts, and talk about um, the horror movies and things we are watching this season um buffy you are somebody who infamously pushes the campiest of like 90s horror movies on uh us and our circle of friends it is only because of you that i've ever seen scream for and i'm so grateful i have um, oh my god i got jerked off that night do you remember that did i ever tell you that <laughs> <laughs> no, but that seems well, far well, from the course for you. 
<laughs> while watching Scream 4. Wait, was someone, I in the room? You were in the room. Someone under a blanket jerked me off. <laughs> wait, wait. I think you, I can Do you not who. know? The, your phrasing made it sound like you're not sure. No, I think... I, no, I know. I know who, but I'm not going to... Uh, A.G.? <laughs> name names. Yeah. Okay. On a recording. Um, yeah, I totally forgot about that. Uh, yeah, that was Scream 4. Um, yeah, I, honestly, like, I, I was introduced to horror. Um, I'm, a, I'm a 90s kid. I was 10 years old when Scream came out. And that was, you know, Scream was like the resurgence of the horror genre. You know, before Scream, it was just a bunch of really crappy uh sequels that were just getting campier and campier and worse and worse um, and straight people campy which is not as good as gay campy it was like actually very bad as opposed <laughs> yeah, to yeah good. yeah that was a good catch yes because campy is a, is a is a good word that is a positive thing mostly um uh so my introduction to horror was definitely scream and i kind of my taste has remained in that genre i'm a little over meta i think i could just like do away with like the self-indulgent self-congratulatory we know what we're doing wink and a nod um what? and and just uh prefer a straight up slasher at this yeah. point but that's absolutely where my taste stays yeah you have to refill the tank with new material to make references you can't reference exactly. reference making a point lost on the date movie scary movie franchise Ugh. <laughs> uh. So good, though. So solid. I mean, not another teen movie. That is a movie I watch at least once a year. That is not an exaggeration. Uh, if you've never seen it or don't watch it regularly, I uh, that might be my recommendation for our horror episode. Chris uh, Evans is very sexy in that. Very sexy, oh, riding right. that banana. That banana. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one good thing that happened in 2020 was that Chris Evans dick slip just... It's literally the only, it's not even that it's like the only good thing. It's the only not traumatizing thing. It's Chris Evans blip of a dick in the national consciousness and then nothing but agony. Oh God, sorry. And then he used it to get people to which, vote. Which so, again, you know. just stop being so decent. It just makes it hurt mm-hmm. more. <laughs> I it was fabulous. agree with that. So Buffy, uh, can you... Tell us maybe your top three favorite horror movies or what you've been enjoying watching this Halloween season. Oh God, I I was so not prepared for that question. Um, Scream is definitely up there. Um, Absolutely obsessed with that movie. Uh, That first scene with Drew Barrymore, absolutely iconic. Uh, I'm kind of a Nev Campbell stan anyway because I was such a fan of the craft uh, growing up. Me too. Like as this emo queenie little kid like just anything where women are in power women are powerful that's why my name is buffy Summers. you know like there's not a man in sight in that movie and it's just it's such a good movie i am nervous about the 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 remake it looks a little tweeny for me but i i'm already derailing the the question all right so scream is definitely one um uh oh god you can just list Kevin some of your favorites. This isn't like a hierarchy. Go, but go on. No, no, I no, I already I have the list. I'm just trying to remember the name. Um, uh, your next, your next is fan fucking tastic. Have you two ever seen it? No, no. I don't want to give anything okay. away. Um, but that was that was a film I 
rented, not knowing anything about it, never having seen a trailer, not knowing what to expect. And it's a fabulous slasher movie about a family that's getting tortured by people wearing animal masks at like a like Thanksgiving feast or some shit. Oh, I don't know yeah. Okay. I, I've heard um, of it. Okay. Now I know what you're talking about. I definitely, definitely recommend that this this uh, Halloween season. And then um, I said Cabin in the Woods, but all right, I'm going to add a fourth one, The Descent. Uh, okay. Just to, to round out my taste, because The Descent also, an all-female cast about, you know, female adventure seekers. I think they're, they're spelunkers. Isn't that like cave, cave yeah, divers? Yeah, yeah. And the first half of the movie, it's legitimately scary watching them cave dive like you you get the sense of claustrophobia you get the sense like there's a cave in it's just it's it's already a scary movie and then these like weird like pseudo human vampire cave monsters start eating all of them uh it's absolutely fabulous super fun time those are my recommendations um i love those as well when it comes to horror i tend to like meta so Scream, the Scream franchise, I love. I actually, I feel like I like the third one, and a lot of people, I think, don't like the third one, and I love how campy and weird it is, and I love Parker Posey being, like, a cartoon in it. It was so entertaining to me. Uh, She's so fucking good in that movie. I love that movie, too. It's it's just a fun time. It, it absolutely is. Um, and it's, it is, it did sort of heighten the stakes of the meta self-mocking within the within the franchise and and it kind of had to because it was the third um i love cabin in the woods it's so funny and it is like really directly and explicitly pointing figure fingers and making fun of like western civilizations misogyny like it's so i i love that i think that's so great um when it's not meta i tend to like things that are either witch-centric, because I am also a gay who is like, so where are all the powerful women? Like, when Sabrina the Teenage Witch was like, and now we're going to really center a lot more on these warlocks, I was like, I'm done with you. Boo. Uh, boo, exactly. <laughs> and um, I, what was I going to say? And if it's, not, if it's not one of those two, I love pale people with high cheekbones in a haunted Victorian. Um, just... <laughs> psychological thrillers sharp angles turning corners like um hence the later part of this uh podcast episode we will be reviewing both Bly Manor and Hill House um but those those are where I tend to to veer um I loved Happy Death Day I don't know if you've seen oh, it so good it's so good because it feels like it's sort of a comically blunt teenage girl horror groundhog day and it totally has that but then you kind of realize like up top but then you kind of realize over time that this girl's like a drunk mess and kind of a bitch because of the tragedy that she faced like two years before and they slowly humanize her and like sort of have her reconcile with like why is she sleeping around so recklessly and it's like not slut shaming it's like her kind of getting her shit together and her head back on that it like it ends up being both the comic like slasher meets Groundhog Day movie but like by the end it's like a great message and it's like very fun and funny the whole time I fucking love that movie um I co-signed that yeah I I saw Hide and Seek recently 
which looked insane to me. Um, have you seen that? Adam Brody's in it, and then a bunch of no names. No. It's the one where the oh, it, the woman yes. gets married into and the family. The hide and seek people. Oh, yeah, that's hide on and my seek list people are watch. doing Scream Five. Yeah. Did you know that the hide and seek people are doing Scream Five? I did not know that. Which which gives me hope for Scream Five. Although I still I, I I want there to be comedy in Scream Five. I would like them to give up a little bit of the meta. Just because they've done it for four films now, and and I think it's taking away from, I don't know, like, the creativity and kills, maybe some good chase scenes, maybe, like, something a little spookier, something a little scarier. Um, I've I, Literally, I, like, ever since I think Scream 2, I've had this weird fantasy that Scream 5 would be scary. And I never knew that Scream 5 would exist, but I was always like, Scream 5 will be the one where they go dark. So that is... Uh... <laughs> I think we need to start a letter-writing campaign for you. Um, you yeah, heard it for here now, year old me. Yeah, yeah. They, they redid um, Sonic's teeth. They can redo the plot of Scream 5. If, there's enough, if yeah. enough people get mad. <laughs> but wait, I totally cut you off talking about oh, Hide and Seek. I just think Hide and Seek was... They did a lot of... Like, when you see the commercial for it, it's such a ridiculous idea. It's insane to me the level of narrative work they did to justify the premise. Um, and then the twists and turns within it are unexpected and it's very well done for what it is. I think also, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but I will say that I I thought about the legal status of those who survived at the end. And I thought, well, that worked out nicely for you. Um, and I think that oh. level of satisfaction... <laughs> Uh, that I had was part of my, like, well, good for this person <laughs> and that person in the end. Um, so. Totally. Uh, Ursula, what are your favorites to watch or what have you been yeah. watching this So, Halloween? as the child of a lapsed Catholic, any movie that presupposes that Catholics are right is innately terrifying to me. So, my favorite scary movies hands down exorcist and the omen the first omen movie the first omen movie fucked me up hard like i was like discreetly checking for birthmarks and shit i mean like that movie was so scary like when david warner gets decapitated by the flying pane of glass that ooh still ooh such a good it, you, you get a, a good you one. get a chorus shouting at me in backwards latin and i'm right there with you emotionally it's just that's that's where it's at for me in the terror department um, other than that, you may not know this about me because I'm such a bitch in recording, but I'm actually a delicate hothouse flower who does not enjoy explicit violence or gore. So I do lean toward like the psychological, religious y horror. Um, so the other stuff I love, Hereditary. Uh, the, I, I do have okay. to say here the scariest part about Hereditary was that Tony Collette was not even nominated for an Oscar. Not even yes. nominated. I love that righteous indignation. I have not seen no, Hereditary the, yet, but I know that you're right. She's one of the best like, actresses. Like, of if her I time. needed conclusive proof that straight people should not be in charge of anything, well, the horror genre in general is, is doesn't is get always overlooked. Oh, yeah, yeah, except for except for Get Out, which like thank God it did. But I was hoping that that was going to be right, right. the door open oh, yeah. for the horror genre being recognized. Right, you're talking to someone whose other favorite genre is sci-fi. I'm absolutely there with being like, yeah, this this whole genre gets no respect, despite. Being good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. What else do I love? Midsummer did it for me because I... Same, same person. Yeah, same. So good. I'm like, you did an yeah. entire horror movie where it's apparently always outside and high noon. And the fact that you made creeping dread work not in the dark is itself 
impressive. And that, that is so impressive. I, yeah. Can I just Please. piggyback off that yeah. for a moment? I I had a period where I feel like so much during that period where a lot of uh, horror was gore porn yeah. in like the early aughts. I remember the movie Hard Candy with Patrick Wilson and Ellen Page, two actors whom I love. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole thing looked like a Crate and Barrel catalog the whole time. I feel like there was, like, maybe one or two other people visible, but maybe not. I think those two might have been the only two visible the whole time. And it, like, it was so impressive that it managed to be chilling and upsetting and infecting while looking like a crate and barrel catalog with ellen page and patrick wilson the whole time totally and then um, no i've never heard it it's really good good. um it's so okay yeah Uh, and then the rounding out my favorites um the first alien movie is probably in my top five of all movies let alone like not just scary ones just i mean and you're right there strong female lead who was right the entire time at every single point in that movie you should just do what sigourney weaver says yeah yeah um so good such good i was and it was it had such phenomenal pacing yeah it was it was so good and And what i I loved about the second one was that it was like a totally different like action t2s right they 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 fixed something totally different. right they fixed the problem of the sequel because the first one is what is it well we know what it is now because we watched the first movie so Mm -hmm. now the second movie says well now that you know what it is we'll do a thousand of them and like that's that's just good storytelling it's like we can't and it became like an action movie it wasn't trying to have suspense right in the right same you, way. you can't yeah. you can't suspend right. it if, since totally i already different. know i i actually yeah. have been re i'm on vacation this week uh and i started re-watching all of them so i just got through aliens 3 and alien resurrection not great movies but better than i remember and maybe this is the effect of 2020 on me the amount of gore in those bounced right off me <laughs> uh which one's the um uh winona writer one is that resurrection? that's resurrection yeah that's so that's joss whedon and um, oh boy just like the x-men movies you could hear it especially when even at points where sigourney weaver great an actress as she is just doesn't have the same ease with whedon banter that say sarah sarah michelle geller is like the Sarah Michelle Gellar is to Joss Whedon what Bernadette Peters and Patti Lapone are to Stephen Sondheim. Like, she, she, <laughs> I, I love, love how homosexual you make this podcast. Thank you. That so is much the greatest for quote. Yeah. It's like it's just, I've ever heard. She understands intuitively how to perform the rhythm of that man's dialogue, and it's always so jarring anytime someone gets it wrong. Because the the one that always murders me is um, Halle Berry in X Men, where it's like, do you know what happens to a frog that gets hit by lightning? Pause. The same thing that happens to everybody else. And she like punches it. I'm like, honey, honey, that was, you're supposed to step back and deadpan it. Picture Sarah Michelle Gellar saying it. And then it, the line is funny. Um, just, uh, I'm going to start on uh, Prometheus and Covenant tomorrow, I think. Um, I've heard good mixed things. And Michael Fassbender's hot. So I can, you know, there'll, there'll be enough for me. But that, that that's what I'm watching this Halloween. I'm making my way through the Alien franchise. PlayStation had a deal on this video game they did set just after the first movie with her daughter and it's really fucking good it's like basically you are just playing the game like you don't get to kill the alien you only get to escape it and it's really good so that that, that, that's what kicked it off interesting um i don't Ursula, you you are a day older than me and i'll never let you forget it um when you were a kid did your parents let you watch let you watch like 80s horror movies at all 
Because I had older sisters and parents that were too overwhelmed to police those things. Right. And I watched, like, Freddy Krueger movies under the couch with them, like, knowing I wasn't really in bed. And I was totally unfazed. And the older I got, the more violence actually bothered me. Um, Silence of the Lambs was my favorite movie when I was nine. Oh, God, yeah, that's on my list, too, yeah. I understood what happened in it. I thought it was, like, beautiful and artful. And I look back and I'm like, what nine-year-old? Genuinely. And with, like, a... Roger Ebert level review is like Silence of the Lambs is one of the best pieces of, of cinema. <laughs> well, that's like, a pretty ever. that's a pretty was... that's a pretty queer assessment. I think. I mean, that that's just like a neat little like when I was nine, I favorably reviewed Silence of the Lambs for the school paper. Like, I mean, come yeah, on, yeah, that um, that is. I like how you're like that is on brand, yeah. Queen. Um, female lead, yeah. yeah, female lead, unexpected, like overcoming odds. Yeah, totally, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Queer subtext, mm-hmm. absolutely. Queer text, exactly. I'll say, so I did not watch scary movies as a kid, but that was as much like taste. And my brother, my I have a younger brother, he watched all the movies that even the ones he. My parents technically forbade him from watching Beavis and Butthead, but still, he 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 snuck it in. Um, he persevered. Yeah, the one scary, scary, I'm using air quotes, uh, movie that I saw that I was told I wasn't allowed to see was, do you all remember how pay-per-view used to work where it wasn't like on demand, it was just a channel that showed the movie six times in a row and you paid to unscramble it for your two-hour block? Yeah. So that channel, the day that it was just magically unscrambled for like three days, was showing nothing but Interview with the Vampire. And my mom was like, you can't watch this. And of course, over three days, you can construct a two-hour movie if it's constantly <laughs> on. Yes. I wish I'd listened to my mother, not because I was scarred, but because I was bored. That was time I could have spent much more valuably in literally any other endeavor. <laughs> I remember being obsessed with uh, Kirsten Dunst's performance in that. I will, uh, I will agree. She was amazing in it. The whole experience yeah. of the movie, still not worth it. <laughs> I agree and with and all of being that. scarred and being scarred by her death. Yes, yes. Like yeah, with the sun in the tower. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty cool death. Um, all right, you brought up Sarah Michelle Gellar a while ago, yes. so it's not the best segue. But uh, I do want to shout out. I did watch. Um, I know what you did last uh, summer, which yeah. was obviously like a studio response to the success of Scream. Yeah. Another like teen white slasher movie uh, that came out. I think a year later. Um, but it's a pretty boring movie. It's not all that scary. Um, it's much more of like a mystery. Like yeah. it's, it's much more of like a, who's doing this to us? Who's sending us these notes? Who's doing, you know, uh, but and you're- Sarah Michelle Gellar has one of the most iconic chase and eventual murder scenes and I think that whole like just teen slasher genre, it okay. is, it is fan fucking tastic. Do have you guys seen the movie? Honestly, I had not seen it in a while, and for the past two days, I have mentioned to my husband that I feel like revisiting it. Um, and we have yet to do that. But hearing you say this, I'm a little like I'm gonna pick my battles. But I love, I love um, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and I. I don't think I've seen that movie since it came out, so I kind of wanted to, like, re-experience. Yeah, I don't think I've... It's fun. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a hundred years, yeah. I've, I've always... I've I've watched I Still Know What You Did Last Summer more um, because I, like, genuinely don't like watching Sarah Michelle Gellar die. Um, but... Oh, poor baby. <laughs> oh, end of season but five and... must have been so rough for you. <laughs> oh, my God. And one. And... Yeah. 
<laughs> that's very funny. Yeah. Um, but, and, 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 and I still need to do the summer is actually, it's super fucking fun. It is a fun movie. Um, but the first one, yeah, it's mostly just that chase scene is good and the rest is blah. But like, it was so funny watching it because all of a sudden I shot back to summer camp, mm. like 10 or 11 year old me at summer camp, like making no friends, like just weirding out absolutely everyone because all I would do was uh, like do Jennifer Love Hewitt's monologues from that movie i don't believe you like you say that and i'm like you make friends everywhere you go you pick them up like a limp tramp like i don't believe you i feel like they're inevitably a group of girls who like loved you well i mean but like it's like an overnight camp you're like with your like cabin the whole time and it's exclusively male and uh, oh what a nightmare Truly yeah. a nightmare. <laughs> and uh, I, I do remember one of one of my uh, fellow bunkmates being like, do you know any of the male lines from that movie? <laughs> the men have no and... lines because the movie was well written. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I, want you I to hope know, that was your response. I'm trying to picture, <laughs> I am trying to picture you at the age of 10 or 11 and I'm still, you are still bald with a beard, just shorter. <laughs> right, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is like just scale back yeah, like, a, like, like, put a, like a child a... face filter on but like yeah. same same <laughs> she had blonde curls y'all <laughs> oh, now i want pictures um you went to school so, yeah. with two of my cousins but apparently don't know them me yeah okay you were between the two of them in a high at high school they went to the same high school as you this I is a detour we, we don't I... need to talk about yeah yeah <laughs> We may have talked about that before. Yeah. Um, um, but, oh, what else was I going to say? I So, a movie that played a ton when I was a kid because my mother loved it, but it always grossed me out because I have always been somebody who responds negatively to moles and skin conditions um, was The Witches. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, so good. It's so good, and I loved um, and Angelica Houston, my, like, as a kid, I love her in the Adams Family movies. She's so iconic in it. The de-dragging scene of that movie was always so, like, stomach-turning for me that I, like, associated with that nausea. And and my husband wanted to watch it um, because he had never seen it. And we watched it recently and it was very funny to me that it was like, it was so ineffectual. I thought I was going to be totally nauseated again and embarrassed. And it was just 90 delightful minutes. That movie knows exactly what it's doing. It's not trying to make it any itself any more sophisticated than it is. It's unapologetically as campy as it is. It's like just that story clearly told. And Angelica Houston plays the part of the, Grand High Witch perfectly. I'm yeah. so glad oh, I no, revisited it. Great fucking movie. I do want to watch the HBO Max remake. I don't think it's going to be as good, but I still feel like seeing it. I honestly think of the people in the movie, it should be Octavia Spencer who gets to be the Grand High Witch. Thank you. And not Anne Hathaway. I agree. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure Octavia Spencer will give you empathetic, mature black woman f- as lo- you know, from here to eternity. But... I would, uh, 
I have not watched Ma yet because it just hasn't filtered up into the infinite list of media to watch. But I gotta say, I'm looking forward to that one. Octavia Spencer as a as like a grudge holding serial killer. Sure, like I'm, I'll, yeah, I'll watch yeah. that. Um, I saw that in the theaters. It has some. It has some good, like moments. You know, yeah, cringe. Yeah. yeah, look through your fingers. Moments. Anything else on favorite movies? I did. I uh, uh, during uh, COVID, uh, one of my friends uh, uh, who's like a huge horror buff. He knows literally everything about horror. Um, uh, he showed me some of his favorites. Um, so we watched the third Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, which was much more like actiony than I expected. Um, it's it's I think it's called Dream. Yeah, Warrior. yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, but really good. Some really clever kills. Uh, very engaging. Very entertaining. Um, but we also watched the second Friday the Thirteenth, which is the first time you see Jason. Because um, the first one's obviously his mother. Right. Um, Spoilers. <laughs> and it was yeah, we'll have a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode uh and it was really fun for me to as someone who was introduced to the horror genre uh from scream which talks about all of these tropes and all of these uh like yeah stereotypes of what the slasher genre has been thus far to see all of them in earnest was really fun. Oh yeah. Like, it would yeah, have like, to I be. Mean, yeah. Like, cause I mean, you know, like Randy doing like listing all the rules on art, like right. how to survive a horror movie. Like none of these people follow the rules. Like there's like this, like just comically slutty girl who's like, you know, she's going to be a camp counselor and she's in like a crop top where you literally see under boob. Her nipples are perma hard. And she goes into the woods alone to look for her dog, gives up in like 10 minutes and decides to skinny dip. And it's just like, I don't know why. I, I really don't believe. Well, oh yeah, it's like that. It's like the trope. The power's out in my house and there's a maniac on the loose. I need to take a shower. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It, like, I really don't believe that these writers then oh, oh, yeah. were making fun of themselves. No, I don't know. No, it's just like, no. yeah. yeah, I think it was like genuine. Oh, no, just a bunch of coked out straight guys were like, I think we can get this girl naked. Yeah, yeah, 1,000%. Uh, so... I also think they're like you. We can dehumanize all of the women except for the like likable tomboy that we still want to fuck who isn't a slut. True, because we who, respect who, yeah, who doesn't her. have sex exactly. We, I mean, the first Friday the Thirteenth, yeah, like that's how that worked out. To slightly balance the scale, we should acknowledge Johnny Depp in the crop top in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. That movie was. <laughs> That holds a place in the constellation of things Ursula saw as a child that made her feel a little funny in her tummy in a way she couldn't articulate at the time. So, yeah. Mm. <laughs> We're not saying it's all bad. We're simply yeah. acknowledging some of the bad. And uh, Buffy, like, it absolutely makes sense that if Scream is your first, like, I'm 10 and this is, like, this iconic genre-transforming campy horror movie that I love that is so referential, it essentially lays out a syllabus for you. Absolutely, and it was just, it was su it was such a delight to see them all of these stereotypes like play out just genuinely. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, it's got to be like watching Galaxy Quest before watching any Star Trek movie, where it's like, yeah, what would it be like to watch the parody first? <laughs> yes, exactly. Like thank that. you, thank you. <laughs> that was a good point, Ursula. Thank you. No, no, just... <laughs> I I'm sure your point is apropos. 
whether or not anybody else on the Zoom call is going is aware to of that. understand that point. You're right. Um, yeah. I gotta say, I gotta say, you mentioned funny in the tummy moments. You don't know what this means. Um, mine definitely was, as far as horror is concerned, Billy Loomis sucking his finger, like like sucking blood off of his finger. Uh, if I, I do you remember that, yeah, you do. Oh my god, it's. I mean, he's he's he is actually like he's fully the Johnny Depp of the '90s. At least like not popularity wise but vibe wise i agree you know i agree with yeah that. <laughs> i'm trying to think just like i don't know other horror movies oh i did i did want to i did like um halloween 2 like genuinely like was scared in, in parts uh really creative kills um i i think it's so like i mean do you know the whole premise of halloween 2 I don't remember it. I saw it years ago. I did love those movies yeah, when I was a kid. Yeah. Like the '80s horror movies, I saw them as a child, and I yeah. did enjoy them. But I do. It is odd because it's like I've seen them all, but I am old enough now that it's like I really don't remember, and I know yeah. I liked them, and I've only watched more recent horror stuff in recent years. But I thought that that was an interesting take on the sequel because it's it's. It starts with footage, actual footage of the first movie. So it just like, it's a continuation of that night. So it, it's not like two years later. She's not like, we don't have to deal with trauma. Like there's not like, oh my God, is this happening again? Like it's literally just a, a minute later. Um, oh yeah, no, it is, I do remember that, that it picks up like right after. Yeah, yeah. And I, I it was, it was a... Uh, again clever clever kills some some good chase scenes which like i i'm noticing that like haunting movies don't do it for me mm. as much because like there aren't usually chase they're scenes. not as scary yeah they're they, not as scary they are affecting to me but i also just think i'm super gay and i love a giant victorian home and i love the like uncertainty of that creek but like overall yes they rarely are they as scary as other horror movies are and I I don't know enough uh, to make a declarative statement like that, but I'm going to anyway. Like I in like I've watched I've I've watched a few haunting movies yeah. over COVID or during the Halloween season, and I they were just a little the same and a little boring. And not like slasher movies are like all different from each other. They're all the same too. I just like that same. I like sharp objects to be afraid of. And I like chase scenes. I want someone, oh, are they going to get away? Or are they not? I, I don't know. I enjoy that. I co-sign everything you're saying. I love a Victorian pale people with high cheekbones turning and looking chilled. Like, I, I no, I like I that love too. It. I, it I do love repetitive. the style of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, it's beautiful to look at. I think at. the problem is a lot of it is the reason for the haunting always ends up being somewhat boring where it's like oh yeah. your husband left you okay girl it you're you have high cheekbones strap on a corset and go find a new one it's always just like a little you know what it is there aren't gay ghosts because we know we we have a better handle on our emotions and self-actualizing ourselves and going after what we want so when something bad happens we just fucking <laughs> deal with it i think also like i i don't know i've never seen a ghost you know yeah, so yeah. I, I i you know like I, I i can't be afraid of that but like I've seen people be terrible and I know that humans have the capacity to be terrible. And so like, there is something to be afraid of with slashers. The one time that like, 
a supernatural movie will make me scared is if it's a cult mm. that is like behind the supernatural. So there's humans creating evil. Well, that's what I like about like uh, Exorcist. It's like until about two, th- until the spider walk, really, she might just be crazy. Like that that yeah. Li- yeah. that line yeah. of like, is it craziness or supernaturalness? And like, that's fun for me. Like, I, I didn't get to talk about Hellraiser. That's one I, I really like. Like, it's probably the goriest horror film I like because it's just so visceral and bloody. But it's also sickly beautiful, like, in a way that compensates. Hmm. Hmm. I've never seen it. It's um, really good in a really cheesy way. Maybe it's because Clive Barker's so gay that, of course, he, of course, he writes a story about a bunch of demons that are basically all S&M freaks. Like, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> That's very funny. Um, so the ch- the... Home I grew up in until I was 10. The previous owner died in the house and wasn't discovered for like a month. Mm. And when I was a kid, um, I was in, like, they basically converted this, like, bedroom that was, like, under a narrow attic. They, like, tore out the ceiling and the triplets and I were in this, like, large loft space with two bunk beds. Um, that was, like, a room with four boys, but it was, like, a massive room with four boys. And every night my sister's in the other room next door and then i heard twice every night we would hear the sound of somebody coming up the stairs to come in and check on us to make sure we were asleep and when we were kids it was always like well once it's mom and then once it's like nobody but you like hear the door open and there was a like a very large closet a closet that was like 26 feet long just like a like a just a bar the whole way down and that was in my room and next to their room and we'd always hear the sound of somebody coming upstairs the sound of the door opening the sound of somebody walking near us and like the warmth of them checking if we were there twice every night and the sound of somebody in the closet and when I was a kid I always thought like both my mom and my dad are checking um like pegs checking twice but like you know i'd be like awake but i'd be like i'm closing my eyes so i don't get in trouble and at a certain point we were all like we all always hear that and it's always once no one and i'm an atheist who does not believe in the supernatural and i very much tried to talk myself out of that my whole childhood but like i grew up in a house where that was a nightly occurrence and that i think probably is part of why haunted house lore like really sticks with me if that makes sense oh absolutely i like i wanted my house to be haunted as a kid (laughs) i i i i scared people who were going to sleep over i like basically i thought i was talking them into sleeping over and it turns out i was talking i was scaring them i was talking them you know that i can absolutely see when you were a child into calling their parents and getting them to pick them up that's too funny yeah oh my god I'm just going to take a detour to say I've lost about four pounds since I've last been in drag. And looking into the zoo mirror, I'm like, y'all can't take me. I feel like I need an excuse to dress in drag for Halloween this year. And that's oh my, my narcissistic moment. And the hair swoop. It's all working yeah. for you. Okay, well, Thank that's you. a good transition. What would, if we were allowed to be in places with, or maybe we'll do it by ourselves. What, what is your costume? I will be in costume when I see the two of you tomorrow. It is underwhelming and simple, but I don't want to give away the gag. Oh, um, well, now I'm excited. That, that said, if 
we could act like honestly if suddenly it was like we're all vaccinated tomorrow something has happened and like magic poof you can go out i feel like this year the restriction would make me like carpe diem and like do a full witch drag look that would be probably over the top and involve very high heels and very high hair um and too much like black metallic glitter that sounds fabulous do you have one? Do you have one in mind, Ursula? God, yeah, I got I got nothing right now. I raised this subject and have nothing to contribute. This is this this is 2020. <laughs> <laughs> so, Buffy, you iconically, notably, often have like multiple conceptual costumes that you come up for Halloween so that you have different looks for different events. Uh, and they always kill. Do you have anything Thank in mind? You. Uh, call me out. Um, this year, no. I, I, it's always around, I don't know about you, but it's always around, like, maybe, like, August or September when your your brain just starts going to that place. What am I, am I going to be? And, you know, like, there's no bad ideas in brainstorming is, is something I like to tell myself. But literally the only thing that I've come up with, and I do think this is a bad idea, uh, is... We're not I judging. Would... We're having fun. Go on. <laughs> is um, I would dress up as a patella, wrap a British flag around me, and uh, when people ask me what I was, I'd say I was Britney, bitch. Um, That's funny. <laughs> That's very funny. Ursula is still thinking. No, I think I, I, I have it now, obviously. I recently discovered that Elaine Stritch is buried in Skokie, Illinois. I thought her husband, oh, right. I thought her husband was British. So I assumed she would be buried either in Michigan, where she's from, or England, where her husband was from. That bitch was from Chicago. His, the guy who made English muffins, apparently, from Chicago. So she is buried in Skokie. So my Halloween costume, I think, would have to be the white shirt, the string of pearls, and the black tights. And then I could just go around doing her one-woman show from memory. I look go. forward to the day that we visit her uh, her grave and you perform her one woman show like at her tombstone. <laughs> um, while, while, while drinking. I think I'd have to be a little drunk. And If you're going to perform yeah, <laughs> if you're going to perform Elaine Stritch's one woman show, it would be sacrilegious to do it without drinking. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so yeah, there, there'd be mine. <laughs> um, Alright. Uh, and with that, I think we're ready to wrap up this segment of the episode. Uh, Buffy, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having uh, me. It was, it was a blast. Lovely to see you. Yeah, seriously, so good to see your faces. Yeah, I'm happy looking, birthday. Th- yeah, you too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Happy birthday! I'm looking forward to actually seeing both of you in a safe, socially distancing way tomorrow. I'm baking a cake first thing in the morning, so Aww. Aww. yeah, it should Thank be God fun. Backyards. Too bad we can't do birthday cakes, but it'll still be a good time. Or birthday candles, but it'll still be a good time. I'll, br- I'll bring my own and we'll just, you know, Individual blow our own. That, yeah. I like it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and with, we'll each blow our own. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's the epitaph for 2020. <laughs> that, exactly. That is, uh, yeah, my COVID motto. <laughs> um, we're going to take a break. Hello. Ursula the Sea Bitch here. I know you're expecting our usual witty commercial, and that's understandable. We're very funny. But we have something more important to talk about. The election is in three days. If you haven't registered to vote, it still may not be too late. 21 states and the District of Columbia, including the state this very podcast is being recorded in, all allow same-day voter registration. 
Go to vote.org to find out how to register and how to vote. That's vote.org. And now back to the show. All right, and we are back to continue celebrating this ooky spooky season. We wanted to discuss uh, Michael Flanagan's, is it The Haunting of Bly Manor? Yes, that, that, that is how they are connecting the two series, The Haunting of there we Blah, go. Blah. Um, on Netflix. So, Ursula, what did you think? Okay, so I, I just finished Bly Manor. It did uh, spur me to rewatch Hill House, but let's, you know, we do things in order here because we have rules. Um, Bly Manor, what did I think? Um, they set themselves a tall order with the source material. Uh, it's so it's based on Henry J, or it's inspired in that way that lets you reference it without being beholden to it. Uh, Henry James is the turning of the screw. And that's a story that it's, its place in gothic horror is literally never explaining anything. Um, so I'm in, it's one of those, I, I'm trying to think if there's been an otherwise good film or stage adaptation of that novel. And I don't think there has. I, th- I think all of them tend to kind of fall apart because there is no solution. The story just ends and it's vaguely unsettling the whole time. Uh, that being said, I think they mined the source material. That is such a net more negative review of the source material than I have ever read before. That's very funny. Oh, no, no, I, I'm not, I th- but I've not read the source oh, material. No, no. So the story itself it. is great. It's, it, it is an experience. Like It is a book designed to be read on a dark, rainy afternoon, uh, curled up in a chair. Um, now, the book itself is not the problem. I think it's just one of those books that, by the nature of the story, it might be unadaptable. It's a book that requires the, like, you can spend time in a character's head in a book in a way that no other media allows. Um, so I think it's just one of, it's not that it's a bad book by any stretch. I think it's, I think it's a very good book. I just think it's a book that does not lend itself to visual media. But moving on. Um, I'll just start, I'm going to start with my list of favorites. Hannah Gross is my queen. Same. Yeah, she was... I don't know who that actress is. Uh, her name but... is Tania Miller, and here's why she's also a queen in real life. Her age isn't on her Wikipedia. Nothing is on her Wikipedia. This woman lives in, I think... I forget where she lives, but she, like, she has a, she's a lesbian, has a child. I don't know anything about that child or who her partner is. I love an actress who, in the 21st century, can still maintain... This is my private life and you shall not have it. Deep respect. Deep. Um, but yeah, just I loved her. Like, it's worth noting that she bears a physical, a striking physical similarity to one of my favorite former bosses. So there was like a real moment of right down to those gold earrings. I'm like, I feel very reassured by your presence. I want you to know that. <laughs> that makes sense. She was, she's a phenomenal actress. I, I loved the character. Um, and I think... So much of the portrayal required so many small nuances and just how she squinted her eyes. Just like subtle facial movements and subtle intonation shifts. And I feel like she so expertly handled the portrayal of that character. It was, she was, yeah, I completely agree. I love that character. I love that actress. She had to be the epitome of still waters run deep and she nailed it. Absolutely. Um, uh, the, the episode, so obviously we're going to get to all the spoilers, um, but episode five, 
Yeah, just just clarifying now, this is full of spoilers. We will be discussing it candidly as people who have watched it. Be aware. Yeah. Continue. Yeah, anyway, so when the episode that reveals that she's dead, um, it bore a real similarity to another horror show I ended up really liking, Castle Rock on Hulu. Um, in that, Sissy Spacek plays the main character's mother who's suffering from dementia. And throughout the course of the season, up to that point, you see her, you know, suffering from the disease and not under, you know, not understanding her surroundings or having conversations that are out of place. And then they film this entire episode as if she herself is moving through time. And that's why it appears to the outside that she is losing her mind. And it does a great job of kind of leaving it on this knife edge of like, she's not really moving through time. This is just how she perceives her illness. And it really got to me because both of these like... The shifting through time and like the reorienting yourself do such a good job of unsettling you, but also grounding you in the story. Like I, I'm explaining it badly, but there was something so evocative about watching her navigate the shifts that just broke my heart. Yeah, and I I, I agree with that. Um, I feel like that was the moment where the show took a very substantial tonal shift. Yeah. Um, and it was expertly done and deeply affecting, and it was so reliant on her performance as an actress. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the f- front half of the series sure, and then sure. well, go from there? Yeah. Um, so I, I like, I'm a sucker for an anthology. Um, I like the idea of a core group of actors all working together a lot and playing different roles and having some fun with it. Cause I, I think it does open up you get the benefit of working with someone a lot, but you're not locked into one role. So getting to see some of the Hill House actors, I think it was Danny, uh, Peter, and the Uncle Uncle Henry were all in uh, Hill House as well. So I like... So was the narrator. Oh yeah, and the narrator was was the mom, yeah. Oh God, I'll stand Carlo Gugino in a second. Um... I like Danny's character. I think they did they did a really good job of making her like clearly traumatized and ner- it had like a nervous energy that didn't read as damsel in distress. I think they did a really good job of landing that distinction. So do I. And I think a lot of people thought that first shadowy figure sighting she had um when she was going to that job interview yeah. was like foretelling and I remember thinking She's seen it before, and she's making a conscious choice to ignore right, it right. now, and thinking like this is about her backstory, not about yeah. what's coming. And I gotta say, it was, those jump scares were perfectly executed. All the little weird shit, yeah. Like even when I knew it was like, oh, she's in the bathroom, she's gonna look in the mirror and see the guy, and then she didn't. I'm still like, well, fuck. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, it had an. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, um. The kids were good. Child actors tend to annoy the crap out of me because they either um, aren't connecting to the rest of the piece because why should they? They're kids. Or they're leaning too hard, especially in horror, uh, into being tiny adults. Like, oh, we'll have the little girl act like an adult and that's extra creepy. And I think they managed 99 times out of 100 that the acting choices... Um, all landed to make them feel like real kids. And when they were acting out of character, it's because you knew what their character was. And that 
elevated those elements for me. So good on the kids. Normally, I'm just like, oh, God, annoying. Get away from me. But I actually think that that it was really hard. Are these kids creepy or are these just like polite upper crust British kids who are nonetheless just like good mannerly children? And I think it's very easy to have like a super creepy kid where you do things over the top and you stylize them in a way that looks cartoonishly old timey or like kid actors who are acting like, you know, extras in a 90s sitcom or something. Um, And I feel like these kids had to like, they had to walk a line and also when they were basically their bodies were being controlled by other beings, they had to like be otherwise distinct. I honestly think that's like a really fine line that they had to walk. And I was impressed with how effectively the show did that. And speaking of being possessed by adults, the, the, the Peter, um, Rebecca story, um, it was so well done that I almost threw something at my television. Uh, that last scene when he's possessing her and walks her into the water and she's standing and then her ghost is standing at the lake wailing. It's I I always appreciate actors who understand crying is not just crying. There's there's shrieking, there's wailing, there's moaning, and all of them flavor a different emotional response. She was wailing at the loss of all of her potential, and I was so angry at what a shitty little coward that man was that I almost took it out on my television set. And I'm like, well, that was good writing and good acting, guys, because I hate him so much. (laughs) As much as Hannah Gross. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I thought the top of the series was good in the way that it was a slowly paced... um, baby like nanny coming to this this you know british lord's estate essentially that's isolated and old and creaking and massive and these kids are sweet but creepy and she has a dark backstory that is haunting her and there are signs of haunting and so that sort of is slowly unfolding and you see the faceless child and you're just sort of waiting for something of substance to happen and then we find ourselves in the Hannah Gross episode we referenced earlier where it is about time jumping and then it takes a pretty dramatic tonal shift as a, as a series. Um, what did you think of the back half of Bly Manor? I, I enjoy all of the emotional aspects because if nothing, I mean, I'm going to respond to that more than even a well-executed horror story. Um, like, give, yeah, give me, give me people making achingly difficult choices and having feelings about them i'm, I'm a happy camper i do think it re- it reduced the pacing too hard like i i really think the biggest misstep of the back half was that was the penultimate episode that was in black and white and all of the backstory of the face of the lady of the lake it was like that was about 15 minutes of exposition stretched to 50 minutes of exposition and it's like i you're literally introducing these people at the very end. At, yeah. At the very end to give us context for why this home would be haunted at all. And it's not like... It was so... It, it turned to being so introspective and emotional and about like... What if you squandered your life? What if you squandered these opportunities? Yeah. How do you reconcile with the past? And the time hopping was like critical to that. And I think it did that so well. But I think like if you're going to do that and pull away from just creepy haunted house at the at the midway point 
and then at the penultimate episode lay out why it's haunted with a whole 50 minute movie set in the 17th century i think it was a little fun like it was like it was also very american writes a story about upper crust british like it didn't feel at all like cohesive i don't know it just it didn't gel in terms of like a real story it just felt like a pastiche to me okay i mean i'll give you that i i agree with you there but i don't think that was part of the problem with it so much as like you're not unfolding in a way that is like giving me context for what is this faceless ghost woman yeah. who killed well, it, it Peter also... Quint. It's like right before it ends, you literally have a movie that is not scary at all explaining who these ghosts are because we're visiting them 300 years earlier in their real life. Yeah. And, and the other problem is it, by the time we got to those last two episodes, uh, Peter and Rebecca, and even to some extent like Owen and Hannah, were no longer part of the story. I think mm-hmm. had they managed to keep the focus on Peter and Rebecca and what was wrong with their relationship, then you could use that as the springboard to exploring uh, Danny and Jamie's relationship. Like, like Peter literally killed Rebecca because he was scared to be alone. And yeah. th- that sensation, the, the emotion, is an understandable and relatable one. So especially for a woman entering into her first same-sex relationship in the 80s, you could have a... Re- like, that could be a fun inversion of the story. Like, instead of you expecting the new nanny to be inhabited by the ghost of the old nanny, you have you, you end up with Danny inhabited by the ghost of Peter, who is now acting dangerously possessive of Jamie because she doesn't, know, she doesn't have the skill set yet to navigate jealousy or healthy relationships. And I think that focus would have kept things tighter and have more stakes because even after that last episode the 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 epilogue we get of this slightly anachronistic flower shop lesbian journey did was like what is happening yeah it was (laughs) i feel like episode nine and episode ten like episode nine obviously we've dragged it already episode ten was like and now here's a whole other life they lead where it does it does it feels like an epilogue that like kind of connects with the yeah. haunting of of the top of it but it's very like oh and now they're solidly together i also feel like i like jamie but i'm a little like danny's clearly crazy i need the two of you to have fallen for each other in a way that is ever not just about you calming her as she's having a hallucination yeah yeah but but um i for me it wasn't scary enough to be something I'd really think of scary as scary. And I think the show called that out about itself in the last episode. But the Hannah Gross and Owen romance and the message of like, this thing that never happened, the waxing lyrical they did over and over again at the fire and in the kitchen in the moments that she kept looping back to, tucking into a memory loop, uh, were very profound and affecting. And so in the end despite the flaws and the rushed sort of conclusion that felt sort of tertiary, it was, to me, ultimately an enjoyable show. Oh, yeah, yeah. I could live in the moment. When when Hannah quietly says, I'll go to Paris with you, but he can't hear her. Oh. That broke my fucking heart. Oh, yeah. Amazing work. Um, Um, My husband has quoted multiple things about that. He's quoted that, and he's quoted the discussion about the glue the rat that slowly sinks into the glue 
that doesn't realize it's sinking into the clue, setting into being stuck in something that if you try to escape, you'll tear your own arm off. That lengthy discussion, like that sent him into an existential mini crisis for about three days. Uh, like, like that acting was so good that up to that point, I was kind of questioning the bona fides of having, of giving Hannah and Owen a romantic arc. But that scene was so delicately played that in that moment, even if they didn't have what I would call, you know, crackling sexual chemistry, I still felt such an emotional bond that it felt valid. Like it was just like, and also I, I have to, I love the guy, the guy who plays Owen, um, uh, I can't remember his name, uh, Ranul something, I think, uh, I'll look it up, but, um, he was in iZombie as, like, a more sarcastic character, but I have, I love him, he is so good, he, like, I love how perfectly he landed, like, a, a good, terrible pun hurts physically, but it still makes you, like, half laugh, and he just nailed them all, like, just... He was the perfect foil to Hannah's seriousness in terms of just, like, staging a scene. And loved all of their work. I completely agree. And I loved when he shouted her out saying she should get an Emmy nod on Twitter. I'm, like, almost never on Twitter, but I was like, oh, I like that they really like each other. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh... But yeah, it, it had atmosphere. In the first half, the jump scares were scary. Um... I think they just needed to pick a thread and stick with it. If you want to introduce the, you know, the new nanny and the, the secretary who's a jerk that then that's where you want to hang your hat. And then, or if you wanted to eventually be the reveal of the original ghost, you had to do more work than one episode full of exposition. Um, Yeah. I, I disagree with your like one thing to hang your hat on. I just, I don't think they cleaned it. I don't think they wrapped it up intelligently. I think being moody and then also being like this weird, now you realize you're actually a ghost hopping between your memories, stuck in this place, but not really able to take agency, like mindful of lost opportunities, etc. I think there's, in a 10 episode story, there's a lot of space to do both. And I think they did a good job. I feel like they didn't, close things well they just sort of rushed with exposition and honestly we didn't need so much of what was laid out in those last two episodes they could have tied up what we actually were exploring in those first eight in those last two episodes and i feel like they it really just took a turn with both of them yeah like if nothing else how much did hannah get to do after episode five and i'm like that annoys me because she should get more to do. <laughs> oh, no, I agree. I agree. Um, all right. Well, I think that wraps up our discussion on Bly, Bly Manor, yeah. unless there's anything else you want to say. All right. And with that, we're going to take a quick break and come back and discuss The Haunting of Hill House. Hersula the Sea Bitch again. Have you voted yet? Have you? Have you? You need to treat that ballot like it's a crumpled dollar bill and that ballot box like it's the jockstrap of a dancer at the Lucky Horseshoe, a place we would all like it to be safe enough to set foot in again sometime before the end of 2021 and put the ballot in the ballot box. See, I give you some wit in the commercial. I couldn't help myself. You're welcome. Go to vote.org to find out the best way to cast your ballot and go fucking vote. And now back to the show. 
All right, and we're back to discuss The Haunting of Hill House. Um, so, Ursula, what did you think of the first in this anthology series, The Haunting of Hill House? Uh, I loved it almost uniformly. Like, almost every single thing I absolutely loved. It helps that I, and this will shock you, am a Shirley Jackson nut. Like, okay. I mean, yeah, the lottery, the, 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 no, the novella Haunting of Hill House, just... I love this woman's writing. Okay. Uh, I, there's just, there's something perfectly, like, sear and depressed, but resourceful about, I don't know, just, I'm throwing words out. I don't know, there's just, I like, Hill House is a great story, and I was thrilled that it would get, like, a lush adaptation. And I honestly think, for all of the changes they, they made to the story, the, the the original story is us questioning is this house haunted or is this woman just depressed and crazy and lonely and the ambiguity makes you feel certain things and i think they kept that spirit so successfully that even the the, the more blunt narrative tweaks don't bother me i just so i was i was predisposed to love this and then a lot of the things they did made me love it even more yeah, no, um, I absolutely loved it. I come from a large family that is six children born in an even tighter window. And um, there has been some collective trauma. And um, I will say that I have never seen the interworkings of a large family and the odd dynamics portrayed so accurately with so much of the nuance and so much of the you're reacting to a ghost of this person as opposed to this actual person. You're reacting to a projected idea of this person and dismissing everything they're saying due to like birth order uh, dynamics. Um, I think even in particular, the the three oldest siblings all kind of have oldest sibling attributes oh, yeah. in relation to their then two younger siblings. I come from a family where it's like the three oldest siblings are in their own way. I mean, we are those three archetypes. I have never seen something drag older siblings on behalf of like righteously correct younger siblings who are, you know, unjustly dismissed all the time. I saw a lot of myself, particularly in Theo and um, Michael. I mean, honestly, I say it. I saw a lot of myself in all three of the older siblings yeah. and to my younger siblings who do listen to this podcast, I apologize. I know sometimes I'm an asshole in three different ways. Um, it was very affecting. Um, and I think the like the weird denial of what you know and thus invalidating the other person's feelings because you don't want to have to make sense of the trauma you also experienced Boy, is that fucking familiar. Um, I was very excited for you. To, like, So you watched Bly and you had not watched Hill House. And I had watched Hill House and I'm like, oh shit, she needs to watch Hill House. This like, yeah, I, one, like that scene in the funeral home where they're all bickering at each other uh, yeah. up to the point that uh, Nellie's casket falls over. That was so like, I'm not from a big family, but I'm from a family. And I will say they nailed the specifics of the tiny, petty, repetitive bickering. Yep. Perfectly. 
and and again, yes. like they did a great job of are these people crazy? Are these people all crazy or are ghosts real? And of course, the most interesting answer is well, ghosts are real, comma, but you are also separately still traumatized. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, completely. Like, the, um, the fact that ghosts exist doesn't make the trauma you experience during these events a nullity. And, like, such, like, so good. And I, I would say what was interesting about this is I feel like it started out having the tone of ooky, spooky, this is going to be a 10-episode haunted house series, but it, eat like, the first five episodes are each from the POV of one of the siblings in birth order. Um, and that sort of illuminates the environment and it is sort of creepy, but you also get a sense of each of their individual traumas, fears, pathos, yeah. etc. And then it sort of in, unfolds into like larger family dynamics. We see, we also get an episode that's first person perspective from both the mom and the dad in the back five, but it is illuminating both the haunting and the horror and the ghost and the fear but also the collective trauma yeah. and it is spanning two time frames. Um it does both it so expertly and it doesn't give it does not give up on either of those things. With Blyhouse you you said something about choosing, you know, one place to hang your hat and I feel like what impressed me about mm-hmm. Hill House is they did not they were doing they were really making a point to do both of these things. Yeah. And they did both of these things. Well, yeah. Like, um, like in, I think it's episode five is Bet Neck Lady, where they reveal that Nellie is the, is her own haunting. And I remember watching that for the first time. And in retrospect, I should have clocked that because there's a ghost of a woman with a broken neck. And we know from jump that Nellie dies by hanging. But in that moment, it wasn't even that I was just surprised or like, Oh, I saw it coming in that moment. All I felt was this like inexpressible grief that this yeah. girl's entire life is just this like closed circle of trauma. And it was just like, that's what I, and I'm like, that's how I know the writing and acting is good. It's because what I'm supposed to feel there isn't even necessarily horror. It's, it's, it's trauma and they nailed it. Yeah. Um, the no, the other part that is actually hard for me to watch. Uh, and I was talking about this with a coworker. She has, uh, two kids, you know, one, I think one and two now. And she talked about how hard it was to watch the scenes of the mom seeing the dead and hurting versions of her kids. And like, I don't have children, but I was still just like, like watching the mom see her children suffer was like so beautiful, but hard to watch. Like I, I it's hard to almost talk about like, like by the time she gets to the end of her episode where, where she kills herself, like, it's not even like you understand it, but it feels it feels inevitable, and it's so awful, but so perfectly presented. It's just, oh god, Ugh. yeah, no, I I agree with all of that. Um, oh, I totally had a pivot point on that. I cannot recall now. Well, I'm just gonna say this uh, is where I'll stand, Carla Gugino, who is amazing, like. She's beautiful. I said this to you in a text and I'll say it here because it was really funny um, or just really good. I thought um, she is beautiful in a way that a gay son would one day breathlessly describe watching her get ready for a party. Oh, absolutely. Like uh, she, she's so perfectly like all they had that woman in like velvet wrap dresses for 10 episodes. And I'm like, wear only those. You're perfect. Just there's this like ethereal 
beauty to her that's just compelling and just oh god i i couldn't yeah no that you you cannot make that woman not stunningly beautiful in like a surprisingly approachable approachable but also undeniable way yeah all of the time um no she's she is great um what did you think of i thought the child actors in this were so good so good per- so good particularly the kid who played luke um he has something adorable about him that that feels almost like a animated pixar character but he is a real little boy who really is aware of his in- instrument and seeing that little boy be so sweet and innocent and cute and then traumatized and then watching um the actor who played peter quentin Blyhouse, whose name escapes me it's a very british play, name it's one of those hyphenated names but go on play a um play luke as a um recovering but really struggling drug addict who obviously had a a lot of uh relapses in his past and is a drug addict in part to nullify to numb his brain to the hauntings of his past that apparently are actually still very much present with him that all of his siblings deny even being a thing he's terrified in the world and running and it was very heart-wrenching oh yeah the actor did such a great job playing adult luke and the the little boy actor did such a good job portraying the like innocence and purity of luke as a child that it was so affecting and i feel like accordingly all of those scenes where his older siblings were just dismissive assholes to him was like very i will say yeah he did the adult luke did a great job of physically relating back to the performance like like scared adult luke his physicality was the same as scared young luke and i remember the first couple of episodes i'm like you think this little kid is going to turn into this guy? Is that even possible? Like, <laughs> like I, re- I remember sitting there thinking, like, I mean, yes, one of them is like eight and the other is in his 30s. So I'm sure I looked much smaller at eight too. But it was just funny to be like, like they did, t- they did tie in their performances. And yeah, watching that little boy tilt his head back to stare through his enormous glasses. is just like, uh, like there's a great picture on Twitter of the two actors on set being goofy. And I'm just like, oh God, my ovaries just exploded. Um, I get that. Um, but I actually, like, I liked, I loved all the kid actors. I think they did, they they did a good job of acting like child versions of themselves, not just shorter versions of themselves. And that's, I think, I think that's so easy to fuck up. Like, there, there's a way, like, you take Theo as an adult and you don't just make her cold and distant as a child. You have to, you have to color that in a specific way to make them connected but not identical and all of the writing and acting choices uh really supported it um i see a lot of myself in shirley personally because i'm i'm the older of only two but i definitely feel the sense of oh i'm the responsible one i'm the one who knows how the internet works or i'm the one who knows how to get this thing achieved and I recognize a lot of myself in that and the great weakness of the older child. And you can see it in every family drama ever is I resent being given all this responsibility, but if you try to take it away from me, I will cut you. It's a weird contradiction. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I agree with that. And I thought they did a good job of portraying Michael has this whole talking down to everybody. His name is Steve. Oh, I'm I'm thinking about the actor's name. Yes. Steve was talking down to everybody in a really... I've diagnosed mom and the whole family and I know what's going on. And I'm like, 
dictating down to all of you what's going on. And I have created this ordered sense of things in order to create logic and reason behind all of this that I so desperately need to be the responsible, aware, rational level oldest child so that I can make sense of my world. And it does not matter at all if I am denying and illegitimizing literally everybody else's thoughts and feelings along the way. I don't care. I am an eldest child. I do that recklessly and with abandon and surely doing the same thing. And I've never actually seen that person, like that or those personality types portrayed with such detail and accuracy and utterly like illegitimized and it made clear like you are like this for you because it makes you feel in control of whatever you're yeah. like you need this worldview and i feel like that was such a thorough reading of all these children yeah i'm trying to think the only part of hill house that really fell flat for me was a bit at the end um particularly the what's his name dudley rushing annabeth gish to the house to die there so she can be with the daughter there it was part of the like that whole sequence felt very much like somehow being trapped in this house was the happy ending for some of these people and based on the character they had painted of the housekeeper to that point especially her like overt somewhat zealous christianity I don't think she would find that to be the preferable outcome, either for her or her daughter. So it, it felt like they were just trying to package one too many happy endings in the end. And that was like the one, if not sour note, was the one place I went, huh? I think the the housekeeper was not happy that her daughter died there. But if her daughter did die there she was going to die there to watch after her was how I read that. Maybe it was the music cue under that moment where it was like, I agree with that. I, I felt that like I didn't need that scene at all. Yeah, I was uninvested in that couple. Yeah. Um, but I get it. Do you know what scene I fucking loved though? I was like yelling at my TV the whole time was the explanation of Shirley's ghost with the, the dude at the convention that she had sex with. And I'm just like, this is what straight people do to the world. Like, you're literally not a person at home because you have so many responsibilities. The first time a handsome man treated you like a woman, of course you fucked him. I would fuck him. Your husband might have fucked him. Like, that's how humans work. And if you could always be grown up about your sex drives, you could have had that without 10 years of crippling guilt. Just, ugh. <laughs> I agree with that. I, and I I actually appreciated that they fleshed it out so much. Yes, yes. And I feel like that... I know that type of bitch older sister who's just like... Kind of has like a barbed wire all around her, especially with men. And I thought the portrayal of how that dialogue went. And then the like, but that's not what you said. And the wedding ring closed the deal for you. Oh, that was such a good line. Because it meant I had just as much to lose as you. Because I felt like the bitchiness of that moment that feels like an older sister who's being defensive with somebody and then the like call out of like but this is what would actually play in your mind and any adult in a, who's been in a comparable situation I feel like they paced that scene in a way that you you saw those thoughts I just thought it 
covered it so oh, yeah, well. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was um, an expertly written scene, but it just underscored that straight people need to have the same conversations at the top of their relationships that a lot of queer people do about actual boundaries and desires and priorities in a relationship. But, that you know. I agree. <laughs> I am struggling with not oversharing at this moment. And I will say that. But, yeah, just... Uh, oh, one, so something else. I, I, I rewatched it. I rewatched Hill House uh, after finishing Bly Manor. And it didn't. I didn't clock it the first time because I just wasn't looking for it. But uh, what's his name? Timothy Hutton's performance as older Henry, or not Henry, um, the dad, whatever his name was. Wasn't it Henry? Was it Henry? Because I thought that was his name in Bly Manor too, and that's why I'm getting tripped up. Yeah, I might be totally wrong about this. In any event, such a good job acting like each again they did an amazing job like mimicking each other's tics without it feeling like cheap impression work and i just deeply respect that level of 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 commitment to acting yeah no it's hugh crane is the character hugh crane there we go right because they're the cranes that's the family that built the house in the original novel there we go i know things um but i gotta say i like Overall, I found the complete experience of, of Hill House just, like, lusher and more complete and more engrossing. And maybe it's because of the, those family dynamics were so specific and woven into every element of the story. So I'll, I'll rephrase what I said earlier about picking one for Bly Manor. It felt like they didn't integrate the two paths successfully the way I think they did here. I would agree with that. Um, and... I will say that I'm very excited that this anthology series exists. I'm looking forward to whatever the third installment will be. Um, and I, with things like this, I tend to be like, you don't need to, like, it doesn't need to be a favorite or whatever. But I mean, yes, I agree. Hill, Hill House was just more effectively executed and integrated. And it didn't sort of fall apart a little bit at the end the way Bly yeah. Manor did. Yeah, like the, um, the worst I can say is the music cues of the ending were trying to act like this was a unironically happy ending. And I'm like, a lot of people are dead, music cue guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's funny. Um, all right. Well, anything else on Hill House? Uh, one last acting shout out. Like I said, good screaming, like good crying is nuanced. And little Luke shrieking at the bottom of that dumbwaiter, still, I still think about that sometimes. Like that just got me in a way that made like my skin crawl like that was that was real terror not stage acting terror and so good little kid oh my god that kid did such a good job real he really affected me in that scene uh and it was like a real like eight-year-old boy is terrified for his life and stuck screaming Um, like like it even underscores your point the thing that makes a child shriek like that, that's not getting attention, that's not I'm hurt, that's I'm terrified. Like, anyone who heard that should go, it doesn't matter if what he saw was there or not. This child has clearly suffered a traumatizing event. Yeah, yeah, Ugh, for God, sure. Yeah. But, so, um, yeah. so we definitely recommend Hill House and a large swath of horror movies. Blind Manor, if you're feeling sapphic. Um, but um, we want to thank everybody for listening and and wish everybody a great Halloween. Um, obviously, go vote. We are go vote. We are still all dealing with this um, pandemic, so 
be mindful about what you are doing and being responsible, but have fun in whatever way you can. Get dressed up in drag while watching a horror movie. Or maybe that will just be me. But you get the idea. Um, any other closing notes from you, Hersula? I, I could not have said it better. Okay. All right. And with that, I've been Condé Nasty. I'm Hersula the Sea Bitch. Bye. Bye.